This is the Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Al and I today for the Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try to unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. I'm Greg from Studio One Design, and here's my partner as always, Alan from Pixel Partners HQ. How are you, Al? I'm awesome, Greg. How are you doing, brother? Going great, mate. Going great. That's awesome to hear. Um, Today, we are going to break down designing for uh, an experience, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you know, maybe my product or my service or my business isn't about experience, but I beg to differ. Oh, so do I. I mean, whatever you're creating, you know, you can give the customer a good experience or you can give them a terrible experience. So this podcast, we're just going to dive into a few things that we do and some things that we've noticed about, you know, designing for a better experience overall. You know what? I, I don't even think it's about about some people doing a great experience and a terrible experience. I just don't think they're thinking about the experience. Yeah, understood. Yeah. So that's a very good point. So yeah, some people just don't think about it therefore they're not putting in the extra effort to get the better result that's it you know it's just about focusing i guess this topic comes kind of from what's been happening just so our uh, listeners are aware unbeknownst to you we took about a four-week break in recording so i mean we've got a couple in the bank so no one knows that we've been away but um, I was overseas for business and then I took my family away overseas and had an absolutely fabulous experience at one of the resorts. Where'd you go? We went to the Disney Aulani in Honolulu, Hawaii. I hope you got kids, man. Otherwise, you know, they're a good alibi. <laughs> yeah, it was a good excuse. You know, there's got <laughs> to be a benefit to being a, a parent. Now, actually, you know what? It was more about f- a family experience. But there was a really nice over-18s pool where kids weren't allowed that was kind of tucked away from all the kids running around. So you could quite easily just go there and relax and the rooms are gorgeous and the service is fabulous. But I think, you know, what was really interesting for me was that, you know, it's a slightly more expensive resort than a lot of places you can stay in Honolulu. And at the time when we were booking it, we were sort of umming and ahhing about how long we would stay there based on the price. But... Let me tell you, the next time we go there, we will spend a lot longer there. I mean, the experience that they gave us made the price irrelevant. Yeah, 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 I can imagine. And so why did you choose them? Did they get that point across in their marketing? Look, their marketing is is fabulous, but we'd been recommended. So thanks to the experience that they'd given others, multiple people had said to us, you really have to go there. Yeah, yeah, word of mouth, it's so powerful. Well, I guess that's part of their marketing. You know, if the experience is phenomenal, that is marketing in itself because you're now giving the current users a reason to talk about you to people who haven't experienced it before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right, so and what else did you notice about, like, why was it such a good experience? Oh, look, I could go on for hours about this. The interesting thing is, and I guess the reason why this became a topic was because when we arrived there, we sort of went, yeah, you know, this is really nice, it's pretty, it's well-designed, the rooms are lovely, the kids are having fun. But you get that everywhere, right? You do, you do. But I couldn't find any faults, which struck me a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's got to be something. Um, but even from the moment we arrived, and actually this, I didn't actually register this 
until after I left and checked into another resort. When you check in, they go through the check-in process and they put your little you know, card keys in the little wallet, but the staff member actually comes out from behind the reception desk and hands it to you and then directs you to where your room is. Nice. You okay. So the finer details is what helped with the experience overall. Yeah. And then the funny thing was when we checked out, you would think, oh, well, you're checking out. See ya. They printed the bill, checked it with us, put it in a beautiful envelope, and again, came out from behind the counter and handed it to me and thanked me for staying with them. Like I said, I didn't register that until I went to the next resort where they literally just threw the keys on the counter. Yeah. And I had to ask, well, you know, how do I get to my room? Wow. Yeah. And then when I checked out of that resort, they printed the bill, folded it up, didn't even check it with me and just handed it to me. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it was a lot of little things in the experience that made a big difference, right? Fantastic. What was the name of the place? It was the Disney Aulani Resort. So, okay, cool. I mean, Disney have a reputation for designing great experiences. You know, for the listener, if you haven't been to a Disney resort, I imagined it to be a little more theme park. I imagined it to be a little bit more Disneyland, which it wasn't. It was just phenomenally designed Hawaiian experience. There was a story behind the resort. There was little characters that were not Disney characters that were these fictitious creatures who built the resort. And there were 300 of them hidden throughout the resort. You know, everything from in the corner of lifts to under the public telephone. Wow, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it was it was kind of blowing me away the first couple of days. Um, and interestingly enough, I was queuing up with my eldest daughter to go on a slide. And, you know, me being me, I'm chatting away to people in the queue because you never know who you're going to meet. And I met Roberts Hathaway, who is the, the creator of Planes, Fire and Rescue, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, and a number of other Disney hits. Apart from the fact that, you know, the first thing I said is, mate, you've done a fabulous job. I mean, anybody who's got kids who's seen the Planes series, the thought that goes into those yeah. those cartoons, those movies, is just phenomenal. The detail is is unbelievable. It's very, very well researched. Yeah, it's good for the whole family too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like the parents get a, get a bit out of it. It's not all kitty. Mm. Um, but he expressed a couple of things. Firstly, he knew the guy who designed the resort and he said the thought and the intricate detail that was put into the designing the resort was just extraordinary there is not one element of that resort that isn't designed nothing's been bought in because it would be the cheaper way to do it everything was custom made custom designed and built specifically for its purpose and he he was saying to me that that's basically the disney philosophy the story in everything comes first yeah i love that man that's amazing and so what would you say for, say, a small business owner that's listening or a designer to, um, you know, think how you can inter, or like inject your story into your product or service? I think you just said it, you know. Stop, step back and think about the experience. How do you inject the story into whatever it is you're doing, whether it's product design, designing how you deliver your service, graphic design, website design, you know, we talk about that singular message and then taking you to the next step. Well, that's that's the story. Yeah, absolutely. And so, okay, so let's say they, they inject their story. Um, like how much of the story, just anything that's relevant to their product and service? All right, well, let's think about it, right? So we'll use the Disney Resort as an example. 
Okay, so Disney is tasked, or this guy is tasked with building a Disney resort in Hawaii, right? Mm -hmm. So let's take that a step back. He's tasked with building a resort in Hawaii. Well, that's not unique in any way, shape, or form, right? There are resorts all over Hawaii. So he stopped and thought about, well, what's the experience that we want the customer to have? You know, how do we want them to come out feeling, you know? And what it was about for him was... This has to be an, a Hawaiian experience. Mm-hmm. So right? keep it relevant. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in translating that into design, what did he do? Well, every plant in the gardens there is a native Hawaiian plant. Nothing's been placed there just because it looks good. Yeah. It's been thought out, you know. Uh, daily activities include, you know, Hawaiian storytelling around a fire pit. Um, a show with Hawaiian dancing. You know, you're given the traditional lays and things when you arrive. The uniforms are very, you know, they fit the culture. I mean, everything was thought out from a Hawaiian experience point of view to the point where it is the only resort in Hawaii where it's a requirement for every staff member to speak Hawaiian. Yeah, fantastic. I love that, man. We, yeah. Um, I mean, were they super nice as well? Like... All their personalities uh, of the staff, were they just, uh, you know, unbelievably um, hospitable? You know what? Disney must be a fabulous company to work for because every staff member really cared. I mean, it's a family resort, Mm. so you can imagine you're dealing with little kids all the time. We would be walking along and we'd be chatting to a staff member, asking them a question about something, and one of my kids would start talking. The staff member would squat down, you know, or kneel down, face the child and sit there and listen to what the child had to say yeah, and never seem to be in a rush to leave that conversation. Um, so, yes, they were phenomenally, you know, service-oriented. Uh, um, service that's fantastic. So I think that's a really important tip as well, that, you know, the way you treat your um, clients, you know, with everybody in your business or your staff, etc., needs to be with the utmost respect um, and really listen to your clients. And why not design that way? Do you know what I yeah. mean? Why not design your um, website with respect for your client? I think, you know, we're talking about designing for experience, right? And I think one of the biggest problems that I see in design today is most design doesn't have the customer in mind first. So how do you put the customer first? Well, you, you, you know, I think it's, it's less about the deliverables, and more about what the the prospective customer is going to get out of their experience with you. Experience, yeah. Okay. You know? And I guess, too, it has to continue through the entire process. Everyone's really worried about designing for lead generation, right? But what about in designing for customer experience? What about yeah. designing for how the product is fulfilled? Yeah, I love the idea of designing for customer experience from the point of view that if it's really good, they're going to refer you to others. And what you're building there is more of a sustainable business, a long-term approach rather than a, you know, a quick sales page to get a, a quick sale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and I were chatting earlier today about software automation, you know, marketing automation, that kind of stuff. You know, and I've just, I'm not going to name the suppliers, but I've just switched suppliers, right? Because the first supplier that I was using had a great sales experience, but it ended the minute I started paying money. Right, okay. Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? It's funny how a lot of, um, you know, bigger companies, they'll reward 
clients or prospects, I should say, that haven't even purchased their products yet. They'll give them a discount, etc., uh, but they don't reward their existing customers. So, yeah, it's a really good point. We need to concentrate more on our existing customers, give them more of the benefits. Look, absolutely. I mean, and the damage is done now. So apart from the fact that I'm no longer paying them, what did I say to you? I said, so look at service provider B. Yeah. Because so far, the experience has been far, far better from when I've made my payment. You know, they're following through on the experience right from being a prospect through to being a customer. And has price been a part of your decision? No, price in this instance, price was irrelevant. The new um, software that I'm using is slightly less at the moment. It will end up being about the same price once I'm automating a lot of stuff. But, yeah. you know, it just, I'm not saving money. I'm just going to inject the extra money that I was spending on it into building it bigger, better, faster. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And so their after-sale support, has been unexpected and and just better overall. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, we're talking a lot about services, right? But, I mean, how does this apply to products? I mean, can you you do the same thing with products? I think you can with products, with, um, you know, even a membership site if you have a a community. Um, You know, for instance, when you get somebody that's just come on board, um, even a product, physical product, you could put something else in the packaging, a little bonus, a little something that something extra that they don't expect. Or if you have a membership and you get a new member, you could, you know, you could post them something or once again, give them a, you know, some sort of a bonus in, you know, it could be a digital, a digital bonus or whatever the case is, just give them something unexpected. Yeah, but even, I mean, look, it's all right to give more. And I, and I do agree with that, you know, wherever you can give more. But again, that's still focused on deliverables right Mm, Um, I mean you talk about a membership right and you and I again were involved in an interesting conversation where two membership um, website forum owners right two membership program owners were comparing their their two sites versus how many people came in and then how many people were staying right yeah one had a much much higher engagement rate once the person was in the forum so they had structured their forums so that you know people were able to introduce themselves easily then the other forum members felt like they needed to be involved in helping that person become part of the community and that forum owner is far more active in the community on a daily basis so one community owner is you know 50 percent or more of people are dropping off in the first 30 days and the other one basically has nearly no drop-offs yeah so that's all because of the engagement and how much extra effort, you know, that person puts in. Yeah, and what's about the experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, the user logs in and within the first 30 days, they've got more than just a forum membership. You know, they feel part of something and they personally are getting something out of that that program, which is not the deliverables. It's not the courses that are in the, in the forum. It's something over and above that. Yeah, I love it. And so, all right, so we're talking about, you know, more of a customer experience, but what about, say, a designer out there that wants to design to create a better experience for the customer? So I'm talking like if they're designing a website or or a product, how can they uh, make it a better customer experience? Look, I think, you know, understanding the customer is going to be a good start, which is kind of hard as a designer because you're restricted by the information you're given by the client. Mm. Right. Um, But really, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you could say to your client, okay, look, we'll implement the site 
and then let's heat map it and you know track the analytics and the visitor flow for the first six months and then yeah. improve on the customer experience right yeah you know a lot of websites i mean i've done heaps of heat tracking on client sites right and often when you start a design you'll end up with what anywhere between six and 20 navigation items yep you know, would you agree in your experience? You know, you yeah. often get, what, five to ten across the top, another five in the footer, and then possibly a sidebar, sidebar navigation? Exactly. So one of the ways you could um, get a better experience for the customer is to simplify it. How about heat map it, see what they're actually using, and then just get rid of all the stuff they don't need? Yeah, yeah, it's a good way. That way it's not really you saying what should be going. It's, you know, letting the customer, the user, dictate it. This is the business owner and I'm just as at fault of this on a regular basis, you know. It's the business owner saying, not thinking of what the customer needs, right, but thinking about what I can deliver. Yeah. So I want to try and say, look, look at all the things I can deliver. Well, the reality is out of those 10 things, the customer only needs two, and the rest is probably just ego. Cool. Well, how else can we, um, you know, get a better experience for our customers? I just want to go back to the whole idea of designing experience into products, you know, yeah. um, there'll be a lot of companies out there that sell whatever widgets, right? And they say, but I just sell a widget. How can I change my customer's experience of that widget, right? It's just sure. another widget. Well, you can, you know, change the way they unwrap the present, the present product, <laughs> right? You can change the way they understand the use of it. You know, so, you know, classic example for me, and I see this again all the time because like you, we, we, we do a lot of packaging work. Yep. I see people put a lot of effort into the packaging and then put the crappiest one-page unreadable instruction sheet in with their product. Yeah. Okay. You know, yep. why not have a really nice, really detailed instruction sheet? Why not have, you know, a, a, a URL to a how-to video, and why not have some sort of 24-7 support, whether it be online or via a call centre, where people can ring in and ask questions about how to use XYZ widget. Nice. You yeah. know? And you could also use automation to follow up on them as well. So it's no extra work on you, but you just run some software that will automatically follow up, say, two weeks after it was delivered, or you, know, you might have a series of automated events. Yeah, absolutely. And go over and above. Nespresso, right? If your Nespresso machine breaks, you know, they get it fixed so ridiculously fast. And they, on occasion, will actually send you out a loan machine so you can continue making your coffees until yours is fixed. Mm, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, look, it's probably selfish on their behalf because they know that if you're not making coffee, you're not buying their pods, right? <laughs> but from a from a user experience, it's not the norm today. You know, people aren't going over and above to support their warranty claims. They're, they're you know, <laughs> you're talking about instruction manuals, Greg, right? Tell me, have you ever done this? You know, got a new electrical device or something for the kitchen like a microwave or a, you know, a, a food processor or something like that, pulled out this nice-looking booklet that's in the box. And the booklet is, you know, four-fifths warranty and terms and conditions mm -hmm. and two pages of instructions in English and eight pages of instructions in other language. Yeah. What's the point of that? Well, they're trying to save money, I guess, by doing one booklet. No, but what I'm saying is why give me the four-fifths of terms and conditions and, and warranty? Like, 
at the end of the day... Yeah, so I mean, you say, put that on a website or something and send them a link instead. Well, I'm just saying, you know, that instruction book's meant to be an instruction book. Instruct me on how to use the device. Yeah, Because most separate, of those, I, yeah. yeah, most of those I find don't actually tell me about much, if anything, about how to use the device. It's a good point. And they're really probably doing that to save a bit of cost. But if they thought about it from the customer experience point of view, they'd probably split it like is what, you know, what you're suggesting. And it might not really add that much cost overall, but it's really going to improve the customer experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think in, in cases like that, it's, you know, legal teams um, yeah, right. in some of these big corporates demanding that they have all this stuff written in that no one reads it. Come on, yeah. let's be realistic. Well, look at Apple. I mean, obviously, you know, like, I think we've touched on this on an earlier episode, but their packaging is a good experience, you know, to unpack an Apple product feels good because they so much thought has gone into the design, but they don't have, they generally don't have instruction manuals. No. You know, a, because their products are, you know, pretty easy to use. But B, you know, you just don't really, you don't need them. Steve Jobs didn't believe in instruction manuals. Yeah, right, yeah. You know, he said, my products should just work. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, if you want to use that Apple experience, you know, when you turn on an Apple device for the first time, it greets you, right? Yeah. And then it takes you step by step through what you need to do to be up and running and the whole process takes a few minutes yeah in a very simple way as well yeah that's but it's built into the device yeah as a feature of the design you know it's not another instruction manual that tells you well you know maybe you want to do this or maybe you want to do that or if you want to set this this way no it's just got none of that stuff yeah yeah what do you think of the experience of walking through, say, an Ikea store? Personally, I can't stand it. <laughs> they dictate where you have to walk. You've got to walk around the, you know, the whole maze of the place, which takes ages, just so that you get to go through you know, every product section. That's an interesting piece of design because when you think of it from a sales point of view, right, it is a very, very good design. It's I very mean, clever. It is very clever. But the, is the, it a good experience? customer experience it annoys the hell out of me <laughs> it does it annoys me too <laughs> maybe we're not the target market <laughs> yeah but, but that's the thing maybe we're not that perfect target market yeah because yeah. my wife loves the place <laughs> yeah exactly and buys and there, a lot there's a lot of people the first thing i do when i go to an ikea is I try and work out where those little shortcut doors are yeah that's what i look for <laughs> yeah and actually my local ikea i've learned now i go in through the exit yeah okay. and just get what i want and come back out because a lot of the stuff, especially the furniture, you don't have to go through the store. You can just look it up online. You can get the actual bay where it's where it's located in the store and just walk in and grab it, put it on a trolley and walk out again. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's the difference between a shopper and a buyer, isn't it? Well, yeah, good point. <laughs> you know, men, are, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Exactly. I'm not saying that it's designed for women, but when you think of the from a design point of view they have done a few really really clever things like right? we 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 criticize them for that you know need to go through everything but all the lighting is set up so that you can't really tell what time of the day it is so they're using that kind of casino type environment where yeah. you could spend hours in there and not realize you've spent hours in there yeah um and they don't just have shelves with products they have rooms set up so that's use that's customer experience, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're not selling you a bed, we're selling you a bedroom and the way the bedroom's gonna feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, a lot of um, you know, because of online competing so much with offline stores, you'll notice the the offline stores that are really going strong are the ones that 
concentrate purposely on giving their customer a better experience. Like, to give an example, have you ever been in an Abercrombie & Fitch store? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Well, they usually have like really good looking models on the door you go in there and it's completely dark and there's just like spotlights on all the garments and stuff and there's just some really cool music playing and that is an amazing experience i think that's the front end experience right so my question would be to you after when you make your purchase at the time of transaction was the experience as good and what about the follow-up i mean we mentioned ikea just a moment ago how much ikea furniture have you built in your life uh yeah too many yeah ditto right but every piece fits together perfectly yeah there's always a bit left over though (laughs) no they do that on purpose you never short parts right that's right and i've had to recently build some furniture for somebody else that wasn't ikea but the same kind of flat pack idea it was terrible nothing quite fitted together right Right. Mm. So, you know, IKEA is taking that user experience to the assembly of their product, you know, and it's it's perfectly made. You know, there's a lot of, I mean, Lego, right? You can take a piece of Lego that is 30 years old and it will fit perfectly into today's Lego. Yeah. You know, so, and it's designed to last. Nice. You know, so that the experience of using the... The furniture or the Lego bricks is fabulous on an ongoing basis. You know, they don't go and change the Lego brick, right? So that all the Lego bricks become redundant and you've got to buy new Lego bricks. That's a good point. Yeah. So there you go. We've sort of covered a lot of different industries and, you know, showing how you can have a better customer experience no matter what your business is. Or, you know, if you're a designer, there's always a better way to uh, to get a better design for the customer experience. So I guess just to wrap up, Al, what would you say our uh, you know top tips are for creating a, a better uh, customer experience? Look, I'm going to run through um, six. You can put your two cents worth in. I know that you and I have agreed on, on these, so we spoke about it before. But, you know, firstly, think of the customer first. You know, what does your customer need, not what do you have to give them? You know, focus on the finer details. You know, really take the time to build something out that is a customised experience from you your company, your product, your service that is, you know, not an off-the-shelf, you know, cheaper way of doing it, spend a few extra dollars, you know, yeah. because you will get a payoff, right? Have awesome support, you know. Don't end the user experience when they hand you money, you know. Carry that through all the way through the life of the product, you know. Um, do unexpected things, you go oh, like you say, give them a bonus, go over and above, engage them at a level that's more than just the transaction. Focus less on the deliverables and more on the outcome for the for the customer. And my sixth point, which is probably not about the customer experience, but an outcome of it, is if the customer experience is fabulous, you're going to save marketing dollars because they're going to talk about it, and it takes the focus away from the price. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So going back to where we started, I am denied before we went to the Disney Resort about the daily cost of staying there. And at the end of it, I was adamant that I would come the next time and stay a lot longer regardless of the cost. Because of the experience. Because, Love it. Because of the experience. You yeah, know? that's fantastic. And another thing for, um, say, website owners is... 
think of your checkout process experience from the customer's point of view. You know, it's good to to get them to press the add to cart button. Um, but after that, a lot of websites have a really poor checkout um, experience from the customer's point of view. So just review that. And, you know, there are sites out there like user testing where you can pay crowds of people to, to test your website um, with the goal of having a better user experience. Oh, yeah, checkouts on most sites are horrible. Yeah. And, yeah think, fact, about, think about Amazon. You know, Amazon have made it so you can make a one-click purchase. Yeah. You know, make it easy. Dude, you've just pushed a hot button for me. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, Apple TV. You know, if you rent a movie off them, you just have to put in, like, um, I think, you know, the, the three security um, letters off your credit card and that's all. You know what I mean? You'd have to go through the whole credit card thing and your name and blah, blah, blah. They've got all your other details. They've just got security on it to make it a better user experience. Yeah, uh, look, and I guess we are talking about companies who we've registered our details, right? But you can try and make it easy, like make it a one-page checkout. You know, get, gather all the yeah. information in one hit, and just get on with the process. And, and I'm sorry, that's not exclusive to website owners either. You know, like if you have a retail outlet or you have you sell any kind of physical product, think about the steps in your transaction and try and make it as easy as possible. Love you know? that. And you've just changed your. Um uh, check out well I guess you know what would you call that um, customer portal that you have yeah the payment process yeah. Uh, yeah actually that's a really good point I mean we were battling with having to track and generate invoices and get prepayments because we're a pay on order company right mm-hmm. however it got to the point where some of our customers um, let's imagine a photographer you know they might be doing three or four small jobs in a day if they had to go through a traditional checkout portal for each one of those jobs that'd be annoying it would be annoying you know having to put your payment details in or you know have all these multiple transactions so for them we conceded it uh, a little while ago that we would invoice them on a regular basis, but that made it really difficult for everybody because not only did we have to track the jobs and then invoice them, but the customer would have to go back and cross-check what we had on the invoice. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've gone to a, a far simpler credit system. So, you know, you can opt to pay per job. So if you only do, you know, if you're a graphic designer or a marketing agency or an advertising agency and you use us you know, once every six months for the odd overflow work. You can just pay for those jobs with your credit card or your PayPal as you normally would in an online checkout. That sounds much nicer for the user. Well, for them, but then for the people who are using us every day, what they can do is they can just pre-buy or pre-load, just like a prepaid phone or iStock, they can pre-load their credit. They can put, you know, $100, $200, $500 in there and then they can just feed off that over the next week. Excellent. So that way you get paid up front too. Yeah, well, that's that reduces my cost, which means I can keep my prices low. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, because one of my considerations was if I was going to have to continue invoicing, I was going to have to put my prices up because right. I need to have extra staff to process all that, all that paperwork. Sure, sure. You know? so it's win-win. Yeah, and we give bonuses for those customers who are using us frequently. So if you you know, if you know you're gonna use a thousand or five thousand dollars worth of budget in the next month, if you preload that, we will give you an extra ten or fifteen percent credit yeah. in your account. So, you know, it enables us to reward those customers very easily. 
That's gold, Al. Well, mate, I think we've delivered some, um, you know, pretty good tips in there for a, a better design and for a better customer or better experience overall. So what would be your last, you know, farewell tip for the listener? Think about your customer first and make it less about the deliverables and more about what the customer needs and how they're going to feel when they are delivered your service or product. What about you, Greg? What's your killer tip? Love it. Yeah, well, look, maybe just if you have a website, for instance, just review the process. You know, sometimes things break as well if you haven't reviewed them for a while. So just review whatever you have and try and, if you can, get other people, even if you don't want to pay for services, get some friends or whatever to test your entire process of your products and services and just, yeah, review it. And I think you'll find that most people would need to um, to revise it somewhat. Oh, absolutely. Throw some heat mapping on there. Get crazy egg, crazy egg heat mapping. It's like $10 a month. Yeah. You yeah. know, throw it on your site, put it on, on the main pages of the process and see if people are actually doing what you think they're doing. Love it. Awesome. Cool. Greg, All it's right. been an awesome episode. It has indeed, mate. Thank you, Al. Thank you, listener. Thank you, listener. Thank you, Greg. We will catch up with you next time. Absolutely. Take care. Bye, mate. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.